Tavis Smiley, glad to have you on, uh, listening to, I should say, KBLA Talk 1580. On KBLA Talk 1580 is our next guest, Shan Wu, legal analyst and former federal prosecutor. As we talk politics now, we spent the first half hour talking about money, given uh, the drama in these U.S. banks, three of them now, in uh, the first quarter that have failed. Uh, uh, so important, um, so significant that the president had to give remarks uh, addressing this and, and, and uh, assuring, in case you've just tuned in, assuring uh, taxpayers that none of their money would uh, would be used to sort of bail these banks out. As uh, Dr. Julian Malveaux, noted economist, and I just discussed, well, I'm still trying to figure out whose money he's talking about. <laughs> if our taxpayer money is not going to be used in this process, then where's the money coming from? So anyway, uh, we will we'll, we'll follow that because uh, at the moment, neither the president nor Secretary Janet Yellen have told us where that money is coming from. I just got a hard time believing that ultimately ain't going to be our money. I digress on that for now. Uh, so that's the money part. Let's talk the politics part with Shan Wu. Shan, good to have you back on. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Doing well. If I complain about being ingrate, I'm just delighted to uh, be here and in dialogue with you <laughs> about politics. And let, let me start here. This is, again, it seems every weekend when I get in here on Monday after the weekend, there's more Donald Trump news. Uh, and I suspect that makes sense given that there are now three separate investigations, at least three uh, that are all tracking uh, at the same time. You've got the uh, case in Fulton County, uh, in, Atlanta, in Atlanta, Fulton County, Georgia, with Fannie mm-hmm. Willis. You've got the stuff in New York State, which we're discussing just a second, New York City. And, of course, the federal government, uh, the special prosecutor appointed by Merrick Garland uh, in the uh, Department of Justice. So there are at least three investigations that are all sort of, you know, headed toward him at some point. And we will see if he gets right. uh, in- indicted in one, two, or all three but here's what we know at the moment about what's happening in New York City. So Alvin Bragg, been a guest on this program, uh, who's the DA in Manhattan, uh, is uh, apparently getting closer um, to the end of his investigation. We know that Michael Cohen, who you all know as Donald Trump's former lawyer, who uh, at some point um, turned against Donald Trump. We know that he today, uh, perhaps even right now in New York City, is testifying before this grand jury in New York City. So uh, they brought Michael Cohen in uh, to testify today. And that is signaling to many people. Uh, We also know that they've invited Donald Trump. Donald Trump's been invited to speak, um, uh, to appear, to testify, I should say, not to speak, to testify uh, in New York City. So Trump's been invited to testify. They're talking to Michael Cohen today, who is, in fact, testifying. And all of this seems to suggest um, that, it, that, that one, the investigation in New York is closing soon, and number two, that Donald Trump himself might be indicted. That's what we're reading. Tell me a bit more, Shannon, about how you're processing all of this. It does look that way, and it's a little bit surprising uh, because uh, Alvin Bragg had previously not been uh, very, it seems, interested in mm-hmm. prosecuting Trump. Right. If we remember, uh, he'd been handed off a years-long investigation on the financial crimes involving Trump and his organization, and he killed that case, basically. And he did go after the organization, a little bit of a toothless uh, (laughs) conviction because it's just the company. Nobody goes to jail. And then he got a pretty sweetheart, generous plea deal for Trump's chief financial officer, who got little jail time and did not cooperate against Trump. But you're right, absolutely. Now it looks like he's gone from zero to 60 real fast mm-hmm. in his interest on this Stormy Daniels hush money. And uh, in New York, they have a rule which they don't have in the federal system that if someone is 
told that they're likely to be charged, they're offered the opportunity, the opportunity. They don't have to. They're not being compelled mm -hmm. to give testimony in the grand jury to defend themselves. So that's why it's being reported that that invitation, having gone out to Trump, is a very strong signal that they are considering him a likely target of indictment. Um, so definitely reading it that way, you know, not sure the motivations. I mean, obviously, Alvin Bragg has taken a lot of heat. Uh, there's a book that came out by one of his prosecutors who quit in protest over him not mm -hmm. charging Trump personally. And so, you know, we no way to read into exactly what's going on there. But there certainly has been a very fast about face. And, uh, you know, the, the case is not without its challenges. I mean, factually, pretty straightforward. Uh, he apparently, you know, paid money to Stormy Daniels to be quiet about an affair they had, which would have hurt him during the campaign, presumably. And that would have been a violation of the federal campaign finance laws, because it's basically a contribution being charged um, as that, mm -hmm. as the hush money. Feds didn't do anything about it. Um, the New York State could have done something a long time ago, but they, they hadn't. And now what they're faced with is a little bit of a new legal theory, uh, which is they got to say there's a false business records, which is just a misdemeanor, and then tie that into some sort of New York State election violation or maybe bootstrap it to a federal one, then they would get a felony. Now, when I say it's complex, where that's going to surface is in a lot of fighting before they ever get to the jury. If they make it to the jury... Jury's not going to see it as very complex. They'll just be given the answers, excuse me, the questions to answer, right. and that's it. But there's definitely going to be some legal challenges before they get to that point. And then, of course, they have Michael Cohen, as you're saying, who's testifying now. Lots of cooperators are used every day. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a commonplace thing. The mere fact he's cooperating or he's been convicted, you know, isn't disqualifying or it doesn't tank the case. But still, it's something you got to overcome. And yeah. Cohen, unlike a lot of cooperators, has been all over the media <laughs> for the last several mm -hmm. years. So there are a lot of statements that the defense can look at and you know poke around, see if there's something inconsistent. Um, yeah. So factually straightforward case, but not necessarily easy to try. <laughs> no, I was just reading an article this morning, in fact, um, that um, there are many experts who say that um, uh, we shouldn't get too excited about uh, Donald Trump going down, at least vis-a-vis -vis the New York case, because it is very complex. Uh, and there are right. a number of hurdles that uh, are involved in making this one stick, uh, as you sort of laid out. And just just as a quick reminder, um, for those who uh, who heard you mention the, the name Stormy Daniels, I was getting to that, and 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 may have forgotten or or may maybe want to forget. Put another way, Stormy Daniels um, is the adult film actress you recall who in uh, 2016. Uh, was uh, paid $130,000 in hush money, we're told by Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's former lawyer, as you heard Stan just a moment ago, uh, Shans just a moment ago, um, to be quiet. So during the campaign, they want her to be quiet. They paid her $130,000 in hush money. Uh, and um, Stormy Daniels, again, is the adult film actress. In, in case you remember that name or weren't paying attention to politics, then that's who Stormy Daniels is. She was paid some money to be quiet uh, so as not to embarrass Donald Trump in the campaign. Not that it mattered because there were a bunch of people that came out 
against Donald Trump uh, in that right. campaign about his um, about his uh, his dealings and behaviors. Um, that said, let me go back very quickly here to Alvin Bragg, the DA in Manhattan. He made history uh, along with Eric Adams. You know, you got a you got a brother mayor in New York City, a black mayor. You got a brother DA in in, in Manhattan. That's never happened before. So uh, there's some history made when he got elected as this black DA in Manhattan. And then to your point. He pretty much sort of ran away from prosecuting Donald Trump. And it may very well be, uh, Shan Wu, because of what we're discussing right now, that Alvin sees the complexity of trying to make this thing stick. He sees the complexity of trying to win on this particular case. And that may have been why he backed off of it. But to your point, there were books written. Prosecutors quit his department in protest. I'm wanting to, to uh, I'm wanting to what extent you think the political pressure that Alvin Bragg was under, never mind the fact he'd pulled back from this, is what brought him back around, even in a case that may not be easy to prove. I think it certainly could be that public criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, after all, you know, he is the elected uh, official. And I think, you know, whether he talks about it or not, I think he's quite conscious of, of being the first black DA mm-hmm. there. And there's an added pressure that accompanies that. And he may also have been a little bit emboldened by the fact that he did get convictions, at least on the Trump organization. Uh, and he got a guilty plea by Trump's chief financial officer. And that may make him feel like, Hey, you know, this is doable. I mean, I, I got the organization, I got the financial officer, you know, the facts look okay for Trump. He's also seeing more of a momentum in the country, obviously, Fannie Willis is supposedly very close to charging in Georgia. Right. And you've got the federal special counsel, Jack Smith, looking at two different cases. So he may feel that rather than being out on his own there, you know, leading this charge, which is, you know, questionable if he's going to win or not. Now there's a lot of momentum and he's sort of like, you know, what have I got to lose? I think if the case is there, you know, I can go ahead and make it now. Yeah. Um, but I think unquestionably as a public official, that kind of criticism hurts, you know, not, not to mention the fact there's always a little bit of, I think, built in bias and racism towards the first person of color, the first yeah. black man to be the DA. And they're saying, Oh, you know, he, he didn't have the guts to prosecute Trump. You know, maybe a white prosecutor, you know, would have done that. Of course, his predecessor was white mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and handed off, that. So there's a lot of stuff that's, you know, behind the scenes there that it's not the kind of pressure anyone's going to be discussing yeah. in the meetings. But there, there's a lot of extra pressure on yeah. it. Uh, Shan Woos, I mentioned, is a former federal prosecutor, uh, legal analyst and political commentator. I'm glad to have him on in this uh, half hour. Uh, who better to uh, help us un- unpack these issues regarding uh, whether or not uh, we can expect that Donald Trump in the coming weeks or months may in fact be indicted either by Fulton County in Georgia uh, by uh, New York, uh, the city of New York, or by the federal government, perhaps in the weeks and months to come. So uh, a lot to a lot to track <laughs> vis-a-vis one Donald Trump, but there always is. Speaking of Donald Trump, one other piece about that when we come forward and we'll move on from him. Uh, but you probably heard, may have heard that uh, Vice President, former Vice President Mike Pence said over the weekend that he believes that history will hold Donald Trump accountable for what happened January the 6th. He believes now, all of a sudden, that history will hold Donald Trump accountable for what happened on January the 6th. This is clear. Uh, uh, it's clear to me and clear to many others that Mike Pence is stepping up his rhetoric uh, of Donald Trump. This is even stronger than what he said in his book, uh, that history is going to hold him accountable for what happened January 6th. It also suggested that Pence is trying to figure out whether or not there's space for him to run 
uh, for president in 2024 alongside what we expect to be a candidacy of Ron DeSantis. Trump is already in. Nikki Haley's already in. Uh, but Mike Pence stepping up his rhetoric. So the question is, do you think that history will, in fact, hold Donald Trump accountable for what happened January the 6th? We'll get Shan Wu's take on that when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Say the quiet part out loud. loud. KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to Shan Wu and this question that I posed to him uh, before uh, that break, which is whether or not he believes, as does Mike Pence, apparently, uh, who said over the weekend that uh, he thinks history is going to hold Donald Trump accountable for January 6th. Two questions I get out of your way. One, do you agree with uh, Mike Pence, uh, Shan Wu? And number two, uh, what do you make of the fact that Pence is, again, stepping up his rhetoric little by little uh, against Donald Trump? Yeah, I think this is a very politically calculated move on Pence's part. Uh, he is stepping up the rhetoric, certainly, I think, in anticipation of, you know, jumping with both feet into the campaign. And he's, you know, not looking real strong at the moment. So I think he's, I think he's feeling like a pressure towards having to really take on Trump. You know, we noticed that these other potential Republican opponents of his have all been very careful not to take him on directly because they're scared about it. But Pence is moving there, and he may not have any choice because it doesn't look like he's going to be polling very well compared to DeSantis or, you know, he's even compared to Nikki Haley. So I think he's being forced there. So nonetheless, you know, Pence, I think, is still being pretty (laughs) mealy-mouthed about it. I mean, saying that history is going to hold him accountable, yeah, that's fine. History may hold him accountable in history books. That doesn't mean he's going to be prosecuted. Pence is stopping short of saying that he should be criminally prosecuted. Um, But he's amping up his rhetoric because he thinks, you know, that may be his only sort of Hail Mary pass of really trying to break out of the pack. (laughs) I I am a student of history, uh, and I love reading history. Uh, and, uh-huh. and, and just imbibing it. I love talking to historians on this program as this, as this audience knows. Um, and yet I, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm ambivalent about this. I don't know, um, whether or not in fact, in the long term, history is going to hold Donald Trump accountable for January the 6th. Um, I, I say that and I, I can offer any number of pieces of evidence. Um, but I offer this, uh, just as one, uh, uh, one note that we should uh, perhaps pay attention to, and that is that when George W. Bush, baby Bush, left the White House, he had the lowest approval ratings of any president in history. Since they've been tracking poll numbers, he left the White House with the lowest poll numbers of any president in history. And now his approval numbers sit in the mid to high 60s. This guy, this guy got us into a got us into, into drama in Iraq. <laughs> We never found the weapons of mass destruction. You you recall George W. Bush, and you recall how disdained he was when he left the White House. Now, after sitting next to Michelle at all these various events, Michelle Obama, that is, and passing peppermints, and she just comes out, oh, I just love him. I just love George Bush. Um, his his approval numbers in the mid to high 60s. So if 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 if, if Bush could make that turnaround, um, why should I believe that history is going to hold Donald Trump accountable for January 6th in the long run, Shan Wu? Oh, that's a good question, especially uh, if there's all this hard work at revisionism going on, you know, by the Republicans yes. right now, trying to put put forth their counter version of the January 6th committee. I would say, you know, the only thing that uh, is more positive for the idea of history being accurate with Trump 
is George W. had the great fortune of having Trump, <laughs> and so and so by comparison, he's looking really good now. <laughs> hold, hold that thought. Hold that thought. I'll come right back to that when we come forward on KBLA Talk Fifteen Eighty. Three minutes left in conversation with uh, former federal prosecutor and legal analyst, political commentator Shan Wu, who uh, had me cracking up a moment ago <laughs> because his point is well taken. Uh, that one of the reasons George W. Bush's numbers may be better now is because Donald Trump came behind him, which leads me to ask whether or not you think uh, in the future Donald Trump will be seen as an aberration, Shan Wu, or whether Donald Trump is just the tip of the iceberg for the kind of candidates we're going to be getting uh, in the years to come. Uh, I hate to weigh in on that thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I suspect he's going to be seen as an aberration because while we may get uh, people with terrible policies, I think you know, inhumane policies, you probably aren't going to get people who are so cavalier in how they ignore the conventions. And I think you even see that in DeSantis right now, who is looking pretty strong for the Republicans being much more careful to come across as somebody who, you know, I am in your extremist camp, Republicans, but I can play by the rules. I won't have all these, quote, distractions with all these legal inquiries. So I think in the long run, he's likely to be seen as an aberration, but I am certainly concerned that the very bad, often inhumane, racist policies uh, could certainly continue. Yeah, I was going to say, that doesn't mean that uh, because he plays the, the game better that DeSantis is any uh, better than Donald Trump uh, politically uh, and when it comes to public policy, Shan Wu. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, 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 um, DeSantis, uh, I've said many times on this program, really does scare me. Um, a lot of people are you know, handicapping uh, what chance he has to win the nomination, and they're looking at it purely through a political lens. Uh, it, it's about, you know, uh, uh, point scoring and, and who can win and, and covering the horse race, as it were. And I hate that about politics. When we, when we, when we reduce it to just, you know, covering the horse race. Uh, I find Ron DeSantis to be dangerous for our democracy. In the 45 seconds I have left, what say you? I, I absolutely agree. I, I think the fact that he plays the game better actually makes him uh, more dangerous. Exactly. At the moment. All these extremists who have supported Trump for whatever their motivations are are looking for someone else to turn to, and I think that that is a big problem. Um, that's what makes DeSantis so dangerous. And you know, you're so right about just covering the horse race because instead of covering the policies, a lot of times all the attention, all the interest is really about the competition. And when you only look at the competition, you forget about the really important, dangerous issues going on that lay under the surface of him looking smooth or trying to look reasonable. And that, I think, really is the danger you're pointing out. When you just focus on the competition, you yep. forget about the other issues, because this is not a sports competition. That's there right. are real issues going on to affect people. It's one of the reasons why um, this show is structured in the way that it is. I mean, every guest essentially, for the most part, gets an hour. And I do it that way so that we have time to dissect. And even if we only do 30 minutes, it's a 30-minute conversation where we get a chance to really dissect these issues. And I thank you for showing up for these 30 minutes. We'll do it again. Shan Wu, all the best to you, my friend. I appreciate it. You too. Hour two. Hour two of Tavis Smiley. After news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 15.